Tech Industry Podcast, and I'm David Andrew Let's dig in. Have you ever asked yourself if there might be a better way to engage your fans? Do you believe that if you could create a better experience for them, that your music career would advance further and faster? Are you looking for practical ways to create a stronger connection with your fans? Then you're going to love today's special interview. Let's get into it. Here to talk about Wonderful Union, I'm joined by President and Co-Founder Eddie Meehan. How are you today, Eddie? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Let's Thank be- you for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Let's begin by talking about what Wonderful Union is. It sounds like you're doing a lot around fan engagement, ticketing, and VIP experiences. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the way that I like to put it is it, it all starts with, the, for us, you know, the, the, the point of engagement is the, for the website. It's where people are going, whether it's on their mobile devices or, or whatever. So we focus on building and managing websites, fan clubs, which when you have a website and a fan club, you have to sell tickets and you have VIPs. You have a fan club, you have merchandise. And it all kind of works together in this big circle. And that's kind of, not kind of, that is what we do. Right. And overall, I think that would help a lot of artists generate more income from their art, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. When you, especially when you have a engaged fan base, you know, you're able to um, focus on driving, you know, all of your traffic into one centralized place. And a lot of times, you know, larger artists will give those rights away to a record label or to sometimes even their you know, friend's cousin who <laughs> builds websites in their basement. We, um, you know, we come in and we maintain and, and build a, we, we have a platform that we built from the ground up that allows for scalability and large bursts of traffic and, you know, large bursts of, you know, um, transactions and commerce. And so as an artist, you know, you, you with the way that the, the climate's changing for album sales and, and whatnot, being able to, you know, have that website as your, you know, your centerpiece of your, your, your business, because, you know, people, let's face it, they go on Twitter and they, you know, they, they engage and they communicate and it's a short lived conversation. Facebook is a little bit longer, but it's a lot of trolling and, you know, maybe you like some artists who you're you don't really want to talk about on your social media. So the official website is that place where fans can go obsess. They can be in a troll-free environment, if you will. And um, for the artist, it allows you to have a CRM, allows you to have a database, allows you to have all of your user information in one centralized spot. And knowing, you know, if they bought a T-shirt or a ticket or a VIP package, or if they're just a casual user who comes onto the website to, um, you know hang out and discuss with other fans. It's all all one place and one platform for us that we've developed. You raise an interesting point because it's so easy to give away a portion of your income or revenue to companies these days without even knowing necessarily what you're agreeing to. So that is a good thing for artists to be aware of. I think a lot of people may not necessarily be familiar with CRMs. That's a customer relationship management tool. You could also look at it, I guess, as your email database, if that helps. And having that database, I think, is like really becoming key in the music industry these days. What do you think? Oh, 100%. Especially, and even if you take it to the next level, you have your mailing list database, all of the people who, you know, you know their zip code, you know the state they live. But if you're able to then go, oh, well, on our last tour, you know, these people bought on average, you know, $70 worth of product and being able to target them in different levels, being able to know who your, you know, 
first tier, your second tier, and your third tier fans are and able to market to them creatively and specifically knowing their past, you know, um, purchase history and their engagement too, because you're tracking everything. You know, you're tracking every click, you're tracking every um, conversion. You know, you 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 you're watching everything they do and rewarding them for that. You know, maybe you're able to offer you know, somebody who bought a VIP package to the last tour. Let them have the opportunity to get it before it goes on to, you know, it's like a pre-pre-sale. Like it goes on to a general, before it goes on to the general public. You know, you're as a, when I say general public, it could be, you know, like past buyers first and then fan club second and then, you know, credit card people third and so on and so forth. And record, whoever, local promoter, pre-sale, things like that. You're able to reward fans for being, being active and knowing that information. You know, so many, it blows my mind. So many artists just don't, I don't know, they don't even think about that. They don't mm-hmm. even focus on it. They don't own that information. Like, Maybe the record label has the database or it's like an old manager. Or again, it's that dude who's in the, in the basement, you know, it's, it's blows my mind. Yeah. Cause what you described is like incredibly powerful. Maybe even just knowing who your best customers could change the way you do your releases and help you generate more profit up front. So it is absolutely crazy the things that artists hand over. And it does require a little more conscious effort to manage and think about the business side. It's not maybe thrilling to a lot of artists, but it's just becoming so important when you have so many fingers in the pie. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And more artists are starting to think about it. And, you know, as the, 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 the um changing the guard to some extent you know the the managers of the 1980s and 90s or you know a lot of these are the, a lot of new artists are coming up and a lot of people who think tech you know they think it's been long enough you know when i started in the business you know wonderful union has been around formerly known as ground control hmm. for we're going on our 11th year now but before, i've been doing this you know way before that and um back in the days of the blackberries and you know before the sidekicks and so like data has always been something that i've always thought is extremely important especially i mean you know the same way you go to a website now and you know you go to amazon and you look at something weird it's going to haunt you on every other website you go to (laughs) for the next two weeks you know like it's just that's just the way it is and that's the way you need to need to um think of your fan base oh yeah just need to be where they are and, and give them what they want yeah, we might get sick out of it at some point, but I'm sure the conversations around data are just going to keep increasing <laughs> in the times to oh, come. Yeah. I'm already a little sick of it, but it's, it's definitely important. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how important is fan engagement these days? What kinds of things can we do today to create memorable fan experiences versus like 10, 20 years ago? Yeah, it's so funny. Like 20 years ago, you would never think of, you know, fan engagement would be maybe maybe your local radio station would give away a meet and greet or something you know maybe because 20 years ago it was about you would tour because you wanted to promote the record to sell more records now it's the script is fully flipped you do a record just to go tour and back in the day you would have the radio stations and you would have the record labels to the radio stations or maybe magazines case of that um doing giveaways and and contests and whatnot Mm -hmm. that's you know, now over the last, especially the last 10 years, you know, turning it into not, and then it's more than just me and Greasy. It's, you know, the type of things that we do can range from anywhere where, yeah, it's your traditional, oh, here's a photo, meet and greet with the band and a sound check and, and all that kind of stuff before the concert um, to, you know, vacation packages where, you know, uh, our, we work with partners who 
you know, get an entire carnival cruise ship and fill it up with fans and throw events on it all weekend. And, you know, and that's a, that's a mega fan experience. You know, you get 3000 people on a boat sailing around the Caribbean or where, wherever you happen to be. Um, that's definitely a, a, a fan experience Two other things where we have artists where we've done, you know, hologram karaoke on site at concerts, or we've done get your hair cut, just like the artists by their own barber, you know, those type of packages, people, you know, from the moment they purchase that ticket on their, wherever they purchase their ticket to, um, whether it's a big, and you know, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is obviously big, big artists, but Mm -hmm. even on young and up and coming artists, it's definitely, you know, being able to create things where you, from the moment the fan purchases a ticket or thinks about going to the show, you want to be in their mind and, you know, with the VIP packages and those type of you know ticket bundles, etc. That's a that's a good five percent of the market, I would say, out of you know a hundred percent. And so it's a real small niche, but you want to think about them from the moment they're getting in their car and going to the show, from the time they walk in the building, from mm. the seat location to the experience they have to maybe it's backstage. It's it's creating at the the basic basic level, creating an evening, creating an experience create a moment that will live with them forever and they'll want to possibly come back and do it again. You know, a majority of the people that do it once come back over and over again. And it has a, um, somewhat of a, um, I don't want to call it, I don't know how else to describe, but like an addictive characteristic to it where it's, you know, people enjoy it. And that, that's what, that's really what you want. You want the fans to be engaged every time you come through town, but maybe it's a one-time thing. Maybe it's a birthday. Maybe it's a, just a moment to create. And, um, you know, that's, that's that's really the core of what we do with those. Um, just just if you create an experience where a fan has an amazing night, they're going to tell 25, 50 of their fans, you know, or friends, and hopefully that word spreads and you, know, you have a fan for life. Hmm. You just answered my next question because I was going to ask how it could apply to independent artists when you've worked with so many big names like Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, or Miley Cyrus. But I think, you know, our listeners are starting to get an idea here. And I'm a big believer in the fan engagement concept as well. I even talk about it in my book to some extent, but Mm -hmm. I just tell, you know, talk about the idea more and more lately that organizing a show, I mean, you need to be not just a musician, but an event planner. You really need to look at the big picture of where where are you trying to bring your fans out to and why will they come mm-hmm. out and what are the drink specials and who's on the bill that night and is there other forms of entertainment or multimedia you can pull in even on a budget these things you know are definitely doable and should be done a hundred percent like when you, and, and especially like on a local level when you're um, if you have that much control of your event you know you could okay maybe you could save a couple hundred bucks and or make a little bit more money playing at the, the, the dive of your bar or whatever. But if you, if you have in, if you know your fan base and you can, if there's a venue in your town that, you know, maybe it's near the entertainment district where there's a bunch of restaurants and you, you know, you're, it's not about all about the money. It's about the experience. And if you can select the venues and this is getting real hard. I mean, I know as an mm-hmm. artist and myself formerly, I used to play in bands and that's how I got the music business. But like, if you're able to pick a venue in your town that has, you know, where everybody wants to go out to on a Friday or Saturday night. There's restaurants and there's things to do. Like that's adding to the the experience that you're giving to the fan. You're you're leading them through that community. You're leading them through that, you know, uh, and 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 that's going to make a better evening for them. Now, going back to like, yes, we do work with some amazing top level talent, but we've, you know, a lot of the clients that we've started with over the years have been. Um, 
you know, we, we do take up an approach of A&R and we, you know, we try to find up and coming artists who we know, like, you know, a lot of it is with an artist, you know, the team that is around them and you know, their track record for success. So like going backwards, you know, I've had artists that, um, have popped up out of nowhere. You know, I worked with Chris Stapleton back in the day and he was a songwriter who before he haven't had an album out or, you know, um, G easy, which is a, uh, he's a, you know, he, he started, I remember, you know, he played here in town. It was, you know, 150 people. Right. But he still sold 20 meet and greets, you know, and that was kind of the beginning of where I saw with his team, which is, he has an amazing team of people around him and from his, booking agent to his managers to, you know, everybody who's involved is, I believe in the team because I'd worked with them before and knowing, you know, going to a show and saying like, okay, you know, he's still finding where he is. And this is several years ago, um, still finding where he is, but you see the fans there and you see like, even at that small level of 200 people in a room, you know, people are getting into it and he's, and he's feeding it back the same level he does today. But, and he's, you know, playing amphitheaters, 20,000 people. Um, now and still, but still doing the meet and greet, still doing the same engagement with the fans at the same level he did at 200 people. So for us, it's definitely, it's about the artist and about the team and about, you know, everything just, just being right. And from being an artist standpoint, if I was able to put myself back into when I was playing bands 15 years ago, like I, I, I used to just be like, oh, it's a cool place to play. And, you know, you would think about the club, but you would never think about, what we had talked about earlier, you know, the, the part of town that you're going to be in, the type of experiences. It was like, maybe I don't know who's selling the tickets. We're just <laughs> gonna sh- we're gonna show up and play, you know. Um, but it's definitely the whole business has changed so so much. Very it's exciting, true. but you know, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, it can be equally intimidating as well. I mean, one example that came to mind is Metallica because they're certainly portrayed as the kind of band that takes the extra steps with their fans and meet them after shows or before shows. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, it's, I think that's the part that some, maybe some people don't understand is like they're still doing that. They didn't just stop doing it when they became big. So they obviously oh, see yeah. tremendous value in that. Exactly. Metallica is one of those bands where, you know, I, I still buy things off their, off their uh, website you know i have the master of puppets book i've got some skate decks in my office i don't work with them but from a fan and you know going back to the days they were the first concert i had ever seen Mm. and you know living in the bay area you know i used to meet them at shows and see them around and and it's funny i was going through um a bunch of stuff uh, boxes of stuff that my folks had dropped off at my house and they had found it in the garage or something and i was going through it and the very first time I ever done a meet and greet, it was a 1991. It was a Slayer concert. My, my buddy Eric and I were sitting out in front of, uh, you know, waiting to get picked up by our folks. And the tour manager came out and he's just like, you know, wait there. And we're like, all right, we're already doing that. What, what's up? What do you need us to wait here for? And then he came and grabbed us and brought us on the bus. And that was the first time I ever had that experience where, you know, I'm sitting there with the, the Slayer guys. They brought us on, signed some stuff, gave us some pizza and like sent us back out. Hmm. Like, you know, and that was like a fan. That was like a VIP experience. Totally unplanned. They didn't charge us for it. They gave us some merchandise, and it's just that the same way Metallica. Like you know, I think Slayer now sells. I know Metallica gives them away for free through their fan club, but like it's just that level of like that engagement. And I still have that. My point is that box of stuff. I found the eight by ten that was autographed that night, and I have it framed at my house. And that was my first VIP pack. I've sold you know 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them now in my life in, in where I've come. But that was that night was where it kind of hit me that feeling on the other side of where, you know, this is a cool night. And that's really what it is. You know, life is short. It's all about an amazing having a good time. And that's that night will always go like my first uh, experience that, you know, wow. I listen to this music all day long. This is my escapism from, you know, whatever mundane things I had to do at the time in junior high school or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, and it came to life on stage and then I get to meet the people. It's like, whoa, it's overwhelming, uh, which is good, which is an amazing feeling, you know? Well, exactly. Cause it's an experience you're still talking about. So those are the yeah. kinds of things that years I'm, later. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm thinking are, you know, what fan engagement should be. What is it like working with big names like the ones already mentioned? Do you feel any extra pressure to deliver results when you're working with big clients? You know, I f you do. You feel you you. There's no room to make mistakes, and when you do, you need to own up to them and you need to f resolve them quickly. You know, it's it's definitely having the the stress. Luckily, I have an amazing team. You know, we're mm -hmm. so wonderful. You know, where we have it's about forty five, fifty people on staff. Um, and I have an amazing staff that works with me from, you know, our designers, our developers, our you know, warehouse staff, our customer support team, our, uh, touring team, client services. I mean, everybody's just great. And so having everybody in place, having the right process, you know, man, back in the day, 10 years ago, we would launch, I remember we did one of our first project, the new kids in the block reunion, right? Totally different from Metallica and Slayer, <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we announced that and all of our servers went down. Everything went. So, you know, all those mistakes, you, if you hopefully you learn from them over time. And because ultimately the, the mistakes would be the same over and over again. And if you continue that, then I don't think we'd be in business anymore. But, um, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, working with the, with, working with the top level talent that we have, I think they've come to trust us and we've done a good job. And as long as we do a good job for them and they keep staying around, then that speaks for itself. You know, I've seen a lot of different companies come and go from the time that we mm. started. You know, I remember, you know, there was music today and then there was, um, a couple of echo music and then top spin. And then all these companies that came and dipped into the space that we're in. Um, I, some of them, you know, like Ian over top spin, he had that amazing job at beats music and went over to, Louis Vuitton or wherever he's running digital for, but, um, so maybe he wins out of all of us, but <laughs> there definitely has been a lot of companies that have come in and out of the space. And, um, you know, I think just us doing a good job and marching on and keeping our clients happy is, is, is it, that's all you have to do. And they stay around. There's really nothing more to it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what it all comes down to. Make sure you have good customer service and you're getting the results that you're promising. I mean, having invested in a music industry startup myself, although certainly in a different field, <laughs> that one failed. And it's, it's true. So many just kind of come and go. And unfortunately, without the right people and the proper vision to make it happen, it, it can just tank so quickly, especially in a difficult industry. It's a very difficult industry and, you know, luckily between, you know, having the right people on team and, you know, I've never, we've never as a company taken any funding or any, you mm. know, it's always been bootstrapped and there is no option to fail because then we don't have jobs. So, you know, 
and nobody wants to go get a job. No. Yeah. So we've all been very stubborn. So I guess part of it's being stubborn. <laughs> I agree with that. And actually, I want you to talk more about that because I think bootstrapping is a concept that was sort of lost on the people I was working with. And one idea that probably many music entrepreneurs should be aware of. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we, you know, there was just a handful of us and we were building websites and, you know, getting into the fan club business came second. And it was one of those things like, do you guys do this? And it's like, yeah, of course we do, you know, because it was, we're all, you know, when you're bootstrapped, you're, you're, you're like a, you don't have a lot of room for cushion and you have to constantly stay ahead because you never know what's going to come next. You never know. Business might dry up. You know, something might go wrong. The economy takes a shift. The other benefit I have being bootstrapped is starting the business at about 2006, 2007, when the American economy took a total dive. Mm. Um, you know, we're coming off of the the um, end of the, the Bush era and, you know, right before the housing market, you know, crashed here. So people weren't spending money like they are now. And that, that progressed over the last 10 years where, um, you know, being bootstrapped, not having any, you know, funding, you're constantly going to artists who are then at the same time, we're in a perfect environment where the music industry was changing itself. So you had the economy, you have um, the changing music industry where they're looking for new rev revenue streams, um, all lined up perfectly for us. And somehow we got into a space where prior to, you know, us and a couple other players coming to the market. Nobody was selling, you know, meet and greets or VIP packages. That was unheard of. So we got a, kind of a perfect storm, and um, which doesn't always happen, you know. So being able to ride that in and have, you know, the ability of the the economy getting a little bit better and more and more artists coming on board with these types of you know, transactions and fan engagement um, really allowed us to grow and. Um, so a, a big part of it is luck, you know, luck and determination. And we, um, you know, we, there, there were years where it was leaner than others. And, um, you, you just have to kind of, I mean, just ride it out. I mean, the early, early days, it was my, my business partner, Greg and I, it was, you know, there'd be months where it's like, nope, we don't get a paycheck, but everybody, mm -hmm. else, as long as everybody else does and knock on wood, you know, we've never missed an employee paycheck. And at this point in the business, like we don't have to thankfully worry about that anymore um but you know it's it's hard and i think i never thought of myself as an entrepreneur until i guess here i am you know <laughs> it's it's like believing in something and you know i never really thought of having any other opportunity other any other option than doing what we're doing because it's sounded cool and you know it's like a dream job which is still to this day a lot of that makes sense to me too. I've kept costs low. I don't have a big office. I have a small team. I mean, there's no pressure to drive revenue numbers when you're adequately bootstrapped. Like you say, you can still find yourself in situations where you can't pay yourself. And that's not uncommon in the entrepreneurial world, especially among, you know, CEO or executive level people. But as long as you persevere and get your business to the next level, you can get to the point where everybody can be paid. And that's, Honestly, it is the amazing thing and, and so much more freedom that can come with it. I've just been experiencing a little bit more of that myself this summer. So I love 
being able nice. to do something I enjoy, but also having time for myself to do other things. A hundred percent. And you know, once you, once you get over that, you know, that level, you're able to, um, you're disabled. I mean, it's a great feeling, you know, and now people are always asking like, why are you in Sacramento, California? It's like, well, good question. A rent's super cheap. You know, it's an emerging city and there's i I'm not from here, you know, I'm here because of a, a past relationship that mm. brought me here years ago. I just kind of made friends and stayed and started my business. But, um, it, it definitely, you know, as we grew the company, uh, we kept the core base here and, you know, now we have our second office we opened was in Nashville, Tennessee. Our third one was in Toronto, Toronto. Sorry, that second T is not hard if you're a local. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a local. And I know, you know you've been in Canada. I don't want to say it wrong. So third one is in Toronto, which is still up there. And then um, our fourth one is uh, in Hamburg, Germany, mm. um, with a partnership over in Tokyo, Japan. But we're able to run it all through Sacramento. And it's, you know, if I had the same company in Los Angeles or New York, obviously – not only the business would be the same, but I would have way higher salaries, way higher rent, expenses, taxes, um, you know, th those things, as well as you have a competitiveness in the marketplace in those, ter in those territories, mm -hmm. where in especially LA, if I had my team, you know, other c companies would be poaching them. Um, things like that would, so your turnover is much higher resulting in more costs and yeah so but being in sacramento everybody's it's a chill city people love living here there's not a lot of competition on jobs and um yeah it's, it's those type of things you want to take into consideration i mean as you know yeah we kind of started talking about that before we even started recording but i know i live in kind of a obscure location in calgary alberta canada but I recently heard on a podcast, it was Todd Henry and Ryan Hollanday talking. And I mean, these are some exceptional mm -hmm. entrepreneurs in their own right. And, you know, I think Todd Henry says he lives in Ohio or Cincinnati, Ohio. And he says that gives him time to dedicate to his projects and his family and the things that really matter to him versus living in a big city where there's way more distractions. And like you say, the cost of expenses or the cost of living can be way more so. I can totally relate. Fewer distractions here. Yeah. And, and the simple distractions, like when I go to New York, I was in, you know, I'm in New York all the time or LA. I was in LA all last week, all last week. You to sit, like even doing this with you today, like I have time because I've done all a bunch of work this morning, days wrapping up. I don't have any guests. Nobody's stopping by. It's mm. just, I can focus. It's like my little pod, the whole city. It's, you know, there's really no distractions, which is a really amazing thing when you're starting a business, you know, to not have those the San Francisco or LA or New York type distractions because I'm super I'm easy to distract. <laughs> Me uh, too. That's exactly right. So there's a term on your website, and I wanted to ask a little bit about it. What is direct to consumer merchandising? <clears throat> direct to consumer merchandising. So the way that you would look at Wonderful Union um, is essentially, you know, we're the back office, the conduit, the white labeled provider for the artist. So direct consumer merchandising means we plug into the artist through a direct relationship and um, contract, essentially, where we then work directly with the artist to sell to their fans. So it doesn't make sense for an artist to go ahead and be like, <clears throat> oh, we're going to go launch our own store and we're going to 
sell our own VIPs and do our own customer support. Like the business doesn't, it's hard. It's a, it has to be a scalable business over many, many clients to make it make sense, you know, mm. to make it profitable and to keep the cost down for each, each artist. So direct to consumer merchandising is, you know, we, we have our own warehouse. We have a design team. Uh, we manufacture t-shirts and bobbleheads and coffee mugs and footballs. And I mean, whatever other kind of, you know, whatever you want to make guitars that are, you know, I have a Megadeth guitar sitting here in my office. Mm. Like, you know, it's it's all kinds of things that we've made. Um, well, we didn't make the guitar, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you put it all together and sell it together as a package. Um, so that's really what it is. It's just, and that's how we are as as I see the company on a whole is really a back office for management firms and artists. You know, who are not going to create a. You know, yeah, we have fifty plus people worldwide. You know, maybe it would take eight. 10 people to do everything that we do for one artist. And that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love that because basically it means, you know, artists can be a little more hands off with this awesome revenue stream. Talk about, yeah, they just have to approve it. They'd say, Oh, I like it. I hate it. That's all artists really want to do anyway. Yeah. yeah so true. Talk, talk about some of the other projects you've worked on and share about your experience as a music entrepreneur. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? You know, I, I think biggest lessons I've learned, you know, I, I think the it's not like a lesson so much like because I, I had to learn that lesson. But like what what I've um, working in the music industry, it is a very small business. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows everybody. You know, it's not like, you know. We all work for car dealerships, and there's thousands of them around the country, and each one's got a hundred people. Nobody knows anyone. The music industry is a very small business, and um, you know you have to. If you do mess up, you have to rectify it. You have to fix it. You have to make sure everything's good. You have to. You have to be. Um, at least in, in our situation, you have to be responsible for every action that you take, and you also have to make sure you take care of everyone. You know, it is like, um, it's, it's, you know, it's like, a, it's like a union or something. It's very, the artists, the artists come and go, right? But the business is here and the business modifies and morphs into something new every few years. It's totally different. You know, 98 was Napster. 2008 was MySpace, you know, 2018, I don't know, you know, it's, it's constantly morphing into what focus points of, um, engagement and, and, you know, how fans react and, 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 and commerce. And, you know, it was, you know, uh, you know, it was tower records and then it was I, iTunes and then now it's Spotify, you know, it's like the way that, 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 that the business changes and morphs, you just have to make sure you take care of everyone because the business changes, but really the people at the top don't until they retire. And, but you know, there's somebody that, you know, right behind them. So it's, it's just taking care of your business is really the most important part, I think, of, of, of what I've learned. Um, and, you know, when I got into this, it was like I kind of knew some people. You know, I didn't know a lot of people. Um, and just, like, go, again, going back to just doing a good job. And I know that sounds super petty and basic, but, you know. And, and being creative, you know, it is definitely a space for the creatives. Like, if you want to be in the music business, being able to um, be a, my own boss and being able to come up with some 
just crazy ideas that don't maybe they're not even crazy they're crazy to some people ideas that no one else has done or don't really make sense you know maybe they catch on and they work and you know maybe someone who works at a record label or another you know more established company couldn't really take that chance because there's red tape and if you you know get risky and quote unquote crazy you could risk your job you know and for us we're like well worst case is maybe a client fires us i don't know we've got lots Mm. more though you know um in in best cases you know you get a win and you do something cool so i mean it's you know taking chances and being creative being smart and taking care of people it's really what i've learned in this space but that's all common sense you'd think i don't know (laughs) yeah common sense is not so common sense though but I like, no, it's not. No, I like your insights a lot. And one example that came to mind, and I don't remember all the details, but we might remember the band Extreme or some of my listeners might. They're kind of the hair metal or, or shall we say funk metal band. Oh, yeah. Good friends with Paul Geary, the drummer. He is a manager ah. and a client. He also managed Godsmack, uh, Steel Panther. He manages Hoobastanka. I know Paul very well. Nice. That's Shout awesome. Shout out to Paul Geary, Boston. There you go. Yeah. So I was... Uh, can talk about Nuno Bentcourt, the guitarist of Extreme. And of course, he went on to do like many solo projects under different pseudonyms and and stuff like that. But but I just heard like a story about him, you know, being pitched to be marketed. And, you know, he sort of flew under the radar because at first they didn't know who it was. But as soon as they knew who it was, they were like, oh, we don't want to market that guy. Like, I don't know. I don't know who he pissed off. I'm just saying like, this is the kind of stuff that can happen in the music industry where they're like, oh, well, you know, we've labeled you as a hair metal act and therefore we don't want to, you know, you know, you know, what's funny is like, as far as like maybe a couple years ago, I don't know if he's doing it anymore, but yeah, I believe he is currently the music director for Rihanna. Yes. Actually, he was yeah. for a few years. Yeah. Doing that. I don't so know if he still is, but yeah, he, he worked his way up to it. So eventually he, he got his way as it looks like, which is great. Cause I think he's an exceptional guitarist and love yeah, to yeah. see him succeed. But yeah, it's definitely, I mean, and, and it's definitely, you know, especially when you're an upcoming artist and you think you're on top of the world, it's like, let's go ahead and step back here. Nobody stays at the top. Yeah. Very especially rare today. Right. Maybe you got a Coldplay, you got a U2, you got a Taylor Swift, you know, it's like, but even, you know, 20 years from now, it's, 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 you can't, it's impossible. Time takes a toll on everyone and, you know, changes the marketplace and changes what people listen to. You know, there's some songs in the 1970s that are amazing tracks that would never even get, no one would even record it today. Uh Doesn't even, you know, it's, um, you just have to take, again, going back to taking care of the people who take care of you. That's a great point. How important is social media for musicians today? I see a lot of new platforms popping up and I'm always asking myself if there's a place or need for all of them. Uh, it's very important. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there's the, the, the core, you know, the Instagram, Facebook and uh, Twitter, uh, to some extent, uh, Twitter, um, you know, it's that communication. It's a directive point. It's what people, people, um, you know, live in it day to day, you know, everybody's on it. Everybody's using it. If you're able to include yourself into people's lives, it's extremely important and, and communicate, you know, and that goes back to, you know, people are like, why you still do websites? It's like, well, it's, you know, when they want to get off social media and find out, you know, where the artist is playing and have a centralized focus point and an encyclopedia on the artist. That's where those, 
those assets come into play. But yeah, being able to control and communicate and have a conversation with your fans is extremely important. And also for marketing, you know, if somebody likes something, you know, you should be able to market to them and social media through, you know, organic or through paid advertising as well as retargeting. It's all extremely important Mm. because we're, we're over, oversaturated. Like growing up, you know, I had three television channels and kind of cable MTV maybe. And then, you know, there are a couple of magazines and maybe one radio station. I didn't have a cell phone phone or the internet. So I was relatively easy to market to now. Dude, I don't know. It's like I've got 20 different tech chat message apps on my phone, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's hard to, to get the attention. And if you can get the attention and the engagement, you do it. Nobody wants to ever be sold. So if you do it in an organic way, you know, it's 90% content, 10% marketing, mm-hmm. you know, but that content could be marketing if it's done creatively. And not like everyone else and not generic, put some work into it. That is so true. And that's really the foundation of what I do at the music entrepreneur as well. It really is built around this content marketing aspect of things. So, and that's really why I believe I'm a big believer in having a website. I mean, artists have websites for different reasons. Some believe it's only for booking purposes. So to get booked, they should have a website. I know some artists that are of that opinion, but it's a, space you own, you know, you don't own Facebook. So having something, having a platform like that is to me really very powerful and important. And there's no other distractions. And if you get them there, like, I mean, we see millions of users across our platform every month. People go, you know, people, when they search for you, it should be the first thing that comes up because you control it. It's your piece of real estate. It's your home. You know, it's, um, uh, all the third party social media stuff is cool. But again, I know I'm dating myself, which I can't continue. I mean, <laughs> it seems like I'm doing here over and over again, but you know, back when I started the company, uh, one of my biggest competitors that came out of nowhere, uh, you know, starting, you know, I was doing websites even before I started the company and, you know, MySpace came out of nowhere uh, mm. and which obviously they're gone now, but you know, people, it's all of a sudden everybody's giving their information to Fox and, you know, they were where everybody went to go find artists and where's all that data and user information now it's gone. Mm. So, you know, a lot of, I mean, that's a long time ago, but things come and go is my point. And you should have something that you own and you maintain and, you know, it's the official word of what you're doing. That's great. Actually, that's an example I used to give all the time too. So <laughs> MySpace. MySpace is a great example of something that's dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And and if you're able to, um, you know, look at your website, not as a website, but look at that as a, you know, it's like an OTT channel. It's, 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 it's your, it's your outlet. It's your, you know, it's your programming. It's your content. It's whatever you can get onto it. Um, you know, most artists nowadays, all the, the pop ones, so many of them are just getting, famous on covering songs on YouTube and, and growing it that way. But, you know, still have websites, you know, still drive people back to them. Yeah. And I think one of the key things they're driving back and then capture them as email subscribers. If you can. Correct. hundred percent. What other marketing channels would you consider important for musicians today? Um, depending on the level of what they're doing, obviously, you know, um, you know, if, if it's, you know, up and coming, you know, having 
Um, you know, it depends on where you are in your career. Mm. There's all kinds of different things that, you know, there's local level and local level is knowing the people in your town, knowing the, uh, the club owners, the promoters, etc. you know, knowing the radio station people, being friends with all of them, you know, not being annoying. One thing I've always learned is like, never ask for anything. If you don't ask for anything, then people want to give you stuff. Mm. You get to the next level where, you know, if you're on a, you know, domestic touring business. It's like getting to know everybody in the business, getting to, having the right publicist, having, you know, all those tools come into play. But like, you know, I mean, outside of social media, I mean, the num the most important thing in this, again, I don't know, just state the obvious, the most important thing is good music. Mm. If you have an amazing song, you have, you have an amazing talent, everything else, you know, and, and, and a work ethic and everything just kind of should come together. Um, but yeah, I mean, social media and, you know, being, just being engaged, but never be annoying. So many, I see, I do a lot of conferences and panels and stuff where like, how do I get a record deal? It's like, um, I don't know. You know, there's, there's so many different areas and, and it's, 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 um, it's, 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 uh, it's a, it's a good question. Um, mm. cause, because there's so many different levels, you know, of where you are in a career that become important, you know, obviously social media follows you through from the, you know, if you and I decided to start a band, we'd make a Facebook page and a Twitter account all, you know, all the way through, um, you know, magazine relationships and promotions and festivals and, you know, um, and yeah, that's, I could talk. That's a whole nother topic. I know, right? I think in a recent podcast episode, I said there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of channels you can use, and it just really depends, you know, on your audience, your goals, where you're at yeah. in your career. Yeah, it all plays a part. What apps? Percent. Yeah. What apps or business tools are essential to your operation, or which apps are you hooked on right now? I mean, essential for our business. Um, you know, we're pretty uh, still tech heavy. Uh, what we do, but um, you know, uh, Slack is extremely important to us as a, as a company just for inner, inner office communication. Mm -hmm. It's changed our life. Um, I, I just like email. Um, you know, we switched our company over a couple of years ago to Dialpad, so all of our phones are all VoIP. Um, allows us to have our other offices and our internal, you know, here in California as well as everywhere else on the same phone plan. We're able to, you know, transfer calls in between. Um, you know, other things like, um, base camp allows us to run our business, Google apps, mm -hmm. all the basic business things we use, um, from a company standpoint, from stepping back a little bit from, you know, the music element of it into business, you know, you've obviously got QuickBooks, you've got Google apps, Slack, dial pad, um, base camp. Um, I'm trying to think what else we use a lot of. It's really it. I mean, I message obviously. Um, you know, when it comes into, tra you know, then it, all the travel type things, um, you know, I use, um, I mean, there's all, I, I, it really depends on what part of the business, but that's really the core of it. I mean, I think in the last three, four years, Slack has probably been the biggest, um, addition to how just everybody communicates, uh, internally. 
I like that because keeping it simple is probably one of the hardest parts of choosing your tools and, and what you need to run your business. And if you complicate, you can easily complicate your tool stack by just adding too many and then nobody wants to use them because it's like, oh, I got to switch between this, these eight tools today. Oh, yeah. And then other parts of the company, you know, we run all of our customer support through Zendesk, which is integrated nice. into our platform. Zendesk is an amazing tool, which also plugs into Slack, which people can request days off. And, um, you know, uh, sorry, Zendesk uh, and then uh, Zenefits, you know, for uh -huh. all of our HR staffing stuff internally we use, which is another great tool, which also, sorry, going um, both of those apps actually go into Slack where you can communicate when there's, you know, high call volumes or people have customer support issues of being able to ask each department in real time and get answers while people are on the phone or doing chats. But at the same time, using Zenefits where people can, you know, request their time off or, um, you know, check their, you know, not that we have schedules, but like all that kind of stuff. You know, there are some people who work hourly, uh, checking in and out, which integrates with Harvest. And so running the business, like using third-party tools, you know, um, is, is, is amazing. And there's so much good stuff out there. It's, it's exciting to find something new and, you know, usually you pitch it to people and they go like, nah, and then they play with it for a little bit and they're like, oh yeah, this is going to change my life. And that's when you find like an exciting tool. I think mm -hmm. Zenefits was one of those where I, I brought over to my HR director. She's like, I don't know about this. I'm like, just play with it. And she's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Um, you know, those, those are, those are good days. I mean, there's nothing... More, I mean, you're basically speaking to the idea of systematization there, which is so important for running a business when you got 50, 60 employees, right? I mean, if you don't have those tools and systems in place to kind of guide the, your people and what they need to do day by day, it's just chaos. It's a mess. Yeah. You have to like be able to simple things like, you know, request time off or, you know, being able to. Just I like I you know we have a we built our own we have our own what we call our business management system which allows me to log in and see mm. the entire operations of the company so transactions people buying things you know many users like content management updates blah 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 like everything reports top spenders so on and so forth across the system so having all of that like you have to be able to because we are heavy on the services but you also have to rely and you know largely on the tech and allow the i can't imagine and i don't know how you would run a business in like the 1980s with no technology no kidding and filing cabinets and like how many more people would i we wouldn't have a business a but like <laughs> i don't know how you would run it like telephone calls and voicemail voice machines they didn't even have voice machines i don't even people taking notes like it sounds like a mess um but yeah i love technology yeah, I definitely geek out on this stuff because we just have so much incredible stuff out there today to take advantage of. Well, it's been really great chatting with you, and it turns out we see eye to eye on a lot of the issues, which I didn't necessarily know going in. But having ch just chatted with you, uh, yeah, I think we're that's good. We're on the same we're on the same page, really. Is there anything else I should have asked? Nothing that I can think of. You know, I mean, I, I love talking about the music. But I mean. I'm in this space because I, I love music and mm -hmm. I'm not, I hopefully never ever do anything else in my life besides work in the music business. Like that's, mm. you know, I've been lucky enough in my life to, this is what I've wanted to do since I was a kid and, and sitting and opening up the records and reading all liner notes and smelling the labels and like obsessing on the records and the you know, Iron Maiden albums. And I grew up as a metalhead. 
Um, and I, I feel I'm lucky enough to have a dream job. And if you can do that, like, you know, I don't know how it's luck or being good or what it is, but I, as far as any questions, I could sit here and talk about this all day long. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know what to ask. I, I feel like, you know, thank you for, I mean, even taking the time today to talk about it. Thank you. Oh yeah. You know, um, check out our website, wonderfulunion.com. There you go. It's a plug. Perfect. Yeah. No, it's been really great chatting with you. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show, Eddie. Of course. Thank you so much, man. Have a good night. You too. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to musicentrepreneurhq.com for show notes and other goodies and leave us a review in iTunes to help us spread the word. 